0: Good morning, y'all, and uh, thank you for joining us. I am not the uh, regular speaker here on Sunday mornings. We are between pastors for a couple of weeks. Uh, recently, we said goodbye to Pastor David McMinn, and very soon, I believe next Sunday, we say hello to Pastor Jim McClure. And uh, we're looking forward to that. Uh, the Bible tells us that a, a pastor is a, is a gift to a congregation. And uh, for several years, I myself was a pastor, and I recognize not only is the pastor a gift to the congregation, but the the congregation is also a gift to the pastor. And so this is kind of a reciprocal relationship that God has allowed us to be in community, one with each other, and also with Him very grateful for Rockbridge Church. I've been here a little over three years uh, and came for a few months at a time a few years back before that. But uh, appreciate uh, the founding pastor, Wade, uh, the last pastor, David. Looking forward to the next pastor, Jim. I believe God has great things in store for Rockbridge. I'm excited to speak with you about a message this morning that actually someone else selected. Someone was supposed to be speaking here this morning who had been exposed to uh, the coronavirus, COVID-19, and then wasn't feeling well. So they called last week and asked if I would speak. And I said, well, what was your topic? And she said, the second touch, the God of second chances. This is one of the most exciting things in all of Scripture to me. And I think you'll see the, my, my excitement, my passion, and uh, my hope and enthusiasm for this topic as we go forward. Our opening text is found in Mark chapter 8. I'm just going to read a, a few verses here in a passage of Scripture that's perhaps familiar to many of you. The Bible says, They came to Bethsaida... And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? The man looked up and said, I see people. They, they look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. Let's pray over the word together. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would take your word And apply it to the needs that we have in our lives today. God, we we ask that we could be humble enough to receive what you have for us. Have the wisdom to recognize that your leading is exactly what we have need of. God, I pray that faith would be in us to receive what you would say to us. And that you would direct our lives through the message today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The scripture reminds me of another passage where Jesus healed a man that was paralyzed. And the Bible tells us that there was such a crowd around Jesus and the house he was in that his friends took the man up on the roof and they tore the roof off and they opened it up and they lowered the man down. There was a song that came out a couple of decades ago or maybe three decades ago now. About that, it was entitled, Faith of a Few Close Friends. And I was thinking of that with this passage where these other people are bringing this blind man to Jesus. He's not just coming there on his own, he's not coming by himself, but he's being led there, he's being taken there to Christ. Other people having hope that Jesus can do something for him. In this passage of Scripture, we, we read that he evidently had sight previously to this. He hadn't been born blind because the Bible says when Jesus touched him that second time, his sight was restored so that it had, it had pre existed. I'd often thought about this passage that maybe, you know, the first time Jesus touched him, that, that his eyes were physically working. And then perhaps the second time Jesus touched him, his mind was able to make sense of what he was seeing. Because the first time when he says, yeah, I see people, but they're like trees walking around. He, he knew what people were and he knew what trees were. So he was trying to make sense of that. But his brain, however long it had been before, from the time he'd lost his sight, his brain was still trying to make sense what, what is happening here. What is going on? But it's that second touch. That inspires me that second touch that is coming through God to this man to give him a second chance. And I don't care who you are or where you come from today, what you've done wrong, how bad you've been, how mean you've been, how rotten you've been, whatever mistakes we have made, God wants to give to each and every one of us this second touch and second chance. It's one of the strongest themes all throughout Scripture. We could be talking about Cain, the first recorded murderer in the Bible. We could be talking about how God put his mark on him and gave him a second chance. We could certainly be talking about Peter, who three times at least denied Jesus. The Bible says the third time he was cussing and saying, I I wouldn't have anything to do with such a man like that. And then all of a sudden, a few weeks later, we see the same person who had denied even knowing Jesus. We see him preaching on the day of Pentecost and thousands of people accepting Christ and coming to know him through Peter's message. We could talk about so many different people in the scripture. It is truly amazing. But I think the Holy Spirit today, most of all, wants us to think about ourselves where, when, and how do we need a second touch in our life for a second chance? So we're going to do just a real quick Bible survey in a few minutes. We're going to talk about three different characters from the Old Testament. They, they stand out to me for reasons that may be obvious. But I can't emphasize enough, we all need the second touch for God to transform our lives And allow us to live purposely for Him. I had a birthday last weekend and it feels like the older I get, the more obsessed I am with this sense of purpose. What what on earth am I here for? I know Rick Warren has written many books and talked about that subject deeply, but each and every one of us, we have to believe if we believe in a divine creator, we have to believe we're not just here by time and chance and circumstantially passing through until we pass on. We have to believe God has a purpose for us. So my prayer for myself and my prayer for each of you is that God would touch us again and let us have that second chance for the purpose he has for us. Real quickly as we think about this scripture, we recognize there's a man who had a need. He was blind. Some people brought this man to Jesus. There's a lot going on here. They begged Jesus to touch him. I don't I don't even want to deal with him spitting in his eyes. I really don't know what that was about. The one thing that I see every time Jesus did a healing in the Bible, every single time he did it differently. Some of it seems strange. Some of it seems bizarre. Sometimes he just said, go and be healed. Sometimes he said, go wash. Other times he, he, he spoke about the faith of the people that brought someone to Jesus. Sometimes he spoke about, uh, in one case, the father's faith who came. And he said, I haven't seen this faith anywhere in Israel, but I see it in you, someone from the outside, that you understand. Just speak the word. Jesus speaks the word and the person's healed. It is incredible. God doesn't do things the same way over and over. In fact, rarely does he do things the same way twice. So if we're not careful and we're looking to where God used to be and what he used to do, we'll miss what God is wanting to do now in us. They begged Jesus to touch him. The Bible says Jesus led The blind man. I think that's key. Jesus led the blind man, and he took him out of town. Jesus touched the blind man. The next thing we read in this passage, Jesus asked him to declare his need. Jesus already knew the guy was blind, but he asked the man to describe what he needed. And Jesus touched him that second time. When he did, the man saw clearly, but don't miss this last thing. Finally, and for whatever combination of reasons, Jesus gives the man direction. I don't want us to miss that. God doesn't just heal us or do a work in our lives for us to go our own way and do our own thing. He wants to give us a new direction. I think that's fundamental. What's happening in this passage, I'm going to speak about those three things that you can see perhaps on your screen this morning. Someone had a need, he described his need, and Jesus touched him a second time. I'm going to skip over the the passage reading it again, but I, I want to share with you that in order for us to get our second touch, or perhaps third or fourth or fifth, second is not the limit. Thank God. We have to recognize we have a need that requires humility. We have to tell God our need. He asks us. He asks us to confess our sins. He, he directs us in his word to pray to our father and ask him. He assures us God will not withhold any good gift from his children who ask him for it. We have to have obedience Humility, obedience, and ultimately faith. We have to trust that God's touch will meet our need. That God's grace is all sufficient for us. I mentioned a moment ago that I want to do just a quick little Bible survey. And I want to speak about three characters in the Old Testament who really stand out to me kind of in proximity, and and the first two may have even lived at the same time. The first one is the man named Samson. I know you know some things about Samson. I'm not going to give an exhaustive review of Samson, his life, his mistakes. We don't have enough days for that to happen. Samson was uh, at least, should we say, a colorful character. He he was a, a very strong man. But Samson, throughout mistakes in his life, he was a man who was blinded by pride and foolish behavior. There's a woman who lived about the same time as Samson, and her name we know is Ruth. She was in search of a place to belong. She wanted a people, and she wanted a God. And she, she, was, she was a sojourner, a searcher, if you will. And finally, this morning, I want to touch on a young man in the scripture known as Mephibosheth. A little bit of, of an obscure character, but I almost cry when I think about him. Mephibosheth was a man not blind, but he was crippled from a fall when he was young. And I think that speaks to a lot of us. Crippled from a fall. Let's take a look at Samson, first of all. In Judges, uh, I believe, chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16, we get the story of Samson. In chapter 13, the Bible tells us, much like the birth of Christ, that Samson's birth was announced by an angel. And that his mother was told uh, that she was not supposed to have any alcohol, any wine, or any liquor. She was supposed to uh, keep herself separate from that. And that so was her son, who would be born and named Samson, was supposed to fulfill what was known as the Nazarite vow. A couple of the things that he wasn't supposed to do, he wasn't supposed to eat anything unclean or touch anything unclean, which would include dead animals or dead people. He was a man who was supposed to be set apart unto God. Samson had some good qualities. He led the nation of Israel for 20 years. But aside from his good qualities, Samson had a couple of problems. He was very strong-willed, very demanding. I can't hardly imagine having Samson for a son. When you read in this passage of scripture of Samson telling his parents what to do, Telling his parents who to go to get to marry for him against their wishes, against their understanding, against their wisdom and knowledge of what was best for him. Trying to avoid heartache for him. Samson is directing them. He was a man, we might say, with a short fuse, a quick temper. uh, One who liked to just live in the moment and take things into his own hands. One of his weaknesses was even though he was mightily used of God, he had a a very severe weakness for women. You might say women were his Achilles heel, and, and his lust or his love for women, his desire to be with certain women, we read in these chapters, gets him into trouble over and over again. And you know this story about how he hooks up with Delilah, And just like her name has come to be known in our English language, almost the way it rolls off your tongue, you sort of hear deceit when you get Delilah, Delilah, Delilah. There's like trouble on the horizon, right? Just at the sound of those words. I, I don't know if it was always that way or if it's just our knowledge of what was there. While we read in this passage of Scripture, there were multiple times, specifically the Bible says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. And empowered him, strengthened him, enabled him to do mighty things. But Samson just kept sliding and sliding and sliding. It's easy to read this passage, especially chapter 16, and go, what an idiot. Right? I mean, he starts to just slowly give in. and There's the the rope. There's the cords. There's the tying of his hands. And then there's the weaving of his hair. Now the hair had not given Samson strength. Samson's obedience to God as part of his vow not to cut his hair had given Samson strength. And we read in this passage as he gives in to Delilah, Oh, just tell me, you must not love me. You, 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 you've got to tell me the secret of your strength. And she weaves his hair into a loom at his direction. He wakes up and just throws this big huge loom off like it's not even there. But he's getting closer and closer and closer to a fall. Again, his his hair was not the source of his strength, but it was certainly a symbol of his obedience to God. And as he continued to disobey God and eventually tell Delilah that if she shaved his head, He would lose all his strength. And in fact, he did. To me, one of the most amazing and powerful verses in all of the Bible, strange as it reads and odd as it sounds, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. It doesn't matter what we've done wrong, how mean we've been, how rotten we've been, whatever mistakes we've been, had. God wants to give each of us a second touch and empower us to live purposefully for Him. I'm not speechless very often, but I get speechless on that verse. It's so subtle. It's so simple. Samson's in a place where after he'd lost his strength, after he was able to be subdued, and the Philistines had put him in prison, and it just gives us this hint reminds me of the passage where the prophet is praying for rain and finally he gets the report i see a cloud like a man's hand and and the prophet says i i hear the sound of an abundance of rain right when we read this passage right here samson's hair began to grow again there's hope there's a future samson was a proud man a disobedient man but here he is In a place of complete humility. His eyes had been gouged out. He wasn't born blind but now he was blind. He was a man who'd been strong and been made weak by his own silly mistakes. But the Bible says his hair began to grow again. It was just that symbol that God's power was still in him. That God's love was still for him. That there was a hope, there was a future, there was a purpose. And we know as the boy led Samson to the party where there they they were thousands of people there to make fun and make sport. Samson said, just lead me to the main beams of this building. In verse 28, it reads, Samson prayed to the Lord. This is Judges 16, 28. O oh, Sovereign Lord, remember me. O oh, God, please strengthen me just once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. The Bible says, then he pushed with all his strength, all his might, and down came the temple on the ruler's. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Samson was a warrior and the most victorious thing he did was in his death. I'm suggesting to us this morning there's hope for each and every one of us. We can't be bad enough. We can't be mean enough. We can't be wrong enough. We can't be belligerent enough. Whatever it takes God wants to bring us to a place of faith, humility before him, to touch us and restore us. There's a little more pretty passage of scripture in the book of Ruth. It's right after the book of Judges. The Bible tells us in this passage that uh, Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, lived in the time of Judges. Naomi had left Her homeland because of famine and she'd gone to another place, Moab, to look for food. While she was there, her sons grew up. Her two sons married uh, two women, Orpah and uh, Ruth. While they were there though, Naomi's husband died. And then her two sons died. Naomi got to the place where she said don't don't call me naomi call, call me call me bitter just call me bitter but god had blessed her with a daughter in law named ruth in this passage ruth and her sister in law are pleading with Naomi to stay with her, to go with her, to be with her. And Naomi turns and says, Look, Ruth, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. As Ruth follows Naomi back to the homeland in Israel, Naomi uh, is still bitter. It always strikes me in this passage, there's something though that Ruth knew. I don't mean to be so emotional, Ruth knew that even in Naomi's bitterness, Naomi had something that Ruth wanted. Ruth needed a place of belonging, but I think very importantly, Ruth recognized she also needed Naomi's God. And the passage, the, the whole book of Ruth, it's, it's just a few short chapters. I would encourage you as a follow-up to this message this week. Some of you may want to go back and read Judges 16, uh, chapter 13 through 16 in the story of Samson or Ruth, the whole little book. It's such a beautiful story. It's a message of kindness. It's a, it's a message of redemption. There is a character in this book of the Bible Known as Boaz, who the Bible says is the kinsman redeemer. And your Bible literature knowledge should let you know that that is a a type of Christ or a foreshadowing of Jesus who was to come, the kinsman redeemer. The kinsman redeemer had to fulfill three different qualifications they had to be blood related, they had to be able to pay the price. And they had to be willing to pay the price. In the last part of this book, you read, there was someone more closely related to Ruth and Naomi who should have been the kinsman redeemer. He was blood related and he had the ability to pay the price. But he said, nah, I'm not willing to do that because I don't want to mess up my kid's inheritance. I don't want to end up having kids with another wife or have a a, a second wife who is going to take money away from the kids I have. No, I'm not willing to do that. And so the Bible shows us where Boaz stepped up and they made an exchange of vow and Boaz did it. But look at what was recognized in Ruth consistently. This is so important. In Ruth chapter 3 verse 10, The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz replied, this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. And verse 12 of chapter 3 Although it is true that I am a near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Recognizing this in chapter four, the people in the community come around Naomi. They rejoice with her. They say, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he, Boaz, become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Out of the union of Boaz and Ruth, we know the genealogy, the lineage here, is there is someone going to be born named Jesse who has a son, the runt of the litter, named David. David had a very close friend that he had been faithful to. This is almost like a modern TV drama or or movie about medieval times or ancient times, 12, 13, 1400s. The Bible's a bloody book. it, It records the history, the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. I used to love to tell middle schoolers, the Bible, you know, is a dirty book. The Bible's got a bunch of blood and guts and gore. You wouldn't want to read that. Right, A little bit of reverse psychology. There's a lot of nasty stuff in here. In fact, the last few chapters or judges are about the worst in all of literature in the whole world. If you talk about nasty stuff. In the midst of these times though, God was still always present. In the midst of famine, in the midst of pestilence, in the midst of pandemic. God was there. He was at work. His plan was weaving through that red cord of redemption pointing to the cross of Jesus Christ. was all the way from Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel all the way through. And it continues through to this day. This God of the second touch, the second chance if wherever you're at in life and whatever you think you have done wrong or everything is wrong around you, I want you to be encouraged and assured this morning. God is with you. He is for you. And he's simply waiting on us to fulfill his plan in us. He's waiting on our humility. He's waiting on our obedience. He's waiting for us to be willing to be led. I'll be very brief as I talk about Mephibosheth. But this is a passage of scripture that man, oh man, is it ever rich. In uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9, Saul had died. David's on the throne. David, several chapters before, had made this covenant with his best friend Jonathan. Said, let's make a promise. You know, we have no guarantees of tomorrow. But if something ever happens to me... Please take care of my children, my grandchildren, my loved ones. They both exchanged these vows. Jonathan is dead. Saul is dead. David's on the throne. The natural right thing for Mephibosheth of the day, the law of the land would have been for Mephibosheth to have been executed. David asked in chapter 9 of 2 Samuel, Is there anyone left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? For Jonathan's sake. They answered. There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled. They went and they got Mephibosheth. And when Mephibosheth son of Jonathan. The son of David came. Came to David. He bowed down. To pay honor. Much like the visitations of the angels. All throughout scripture. What does King David say? Don't. Be. Be afraid somebody needs to hear that this morning don't be afraid David said to Mephibosheth for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul and you will always eat at my table Look at this posture of humility, though, that Mephibosheth had. He bowed down and he said, What is your servant that you should notice? A dead dog like me. I don't know how long it had been. The scripture's not real specific here or detailed. How long it had been that Mephibosheth had been kind of in exile, running, scared for his life. Crippled, unable to provide for himself. God had a plan for Mephibosheth. King David sent for him, reached out, lifted him up and said, you're going to sit at my table. And the scripture says in this chapter that all the years of his life, God provided for this crippled man and for his family and their descendants. And he ate at the king's table. I truly believe our king, our God and father, wants us to eat at his table. Wants us to sit with David's children were the bold and the beautiful. They they had their problems, but they were gorgeous. They were talented. They were strong. They were athletic. They were troubled and incredible people. Almost remind you of like the Kennedy family or something. I I mean, these, these were gorgeous, highly capable individuals and Mephibosheth, the crippled boy, David said, no, you're, you're going to sit at my table. I really believe our king wants to invite us to sit at his table. This second chance, let's wrap it up. It's got to have humility to admit that we have a need. Whether it was the blind man we started with in Mark 8, Whether it was Samson who had to come to recognize his dependency upon God that he couldn't do it all by himself. Whether it was Ruth who already knew she couldn't meet her own needs by herself, but continued to show kindness after kindness after kindness. And the kindness was recognized and God provided for her. He rewarded her with His touch, with His blessing, with His grace. Mephibosheth, this crippled man, couldn't possibly have provided for himself, much less his family. But God made a way where there seemed to be no way. And our God of the second touch and the second chance is still the same God today. I've said several times in the last 20-30 minutes something similar to this. You can't be mean enough, wrong enough, or dirty enough not to receive a second chance from God. You can't be mean enough, wrong enough, or dirty enough not to receive a second chance from God. But you do have to be willing enough. You do have to be willing. As we bring this message to a close, I want to mention a song to you my my sister sent me this week. It's a song called, The Father's House. I've already suggested a few minutes ago, if God's speaking to you in any way through this message, perhaps you want to go back and look at the blind man and what Christ did for him in Mark 8. Perhaps you want to go back to Judges, chapters 13 through 16, and Read the story of Samson to see the power of redemption happening in his life. Or the beautiful little book of Ruth that gives us this legacy, this foundation for what a kinsman redeemer is and what God wants to do for us. Or maybe you're listening to this message and you're like Mephibosheth and you feel like you've been crippled from a fall, from a mistake. From something someone else did. I want you to know God still today wants to reach His hand out to you, out to me, lift us up, touch us again, give us a second chance. For some of you, you may want to look up that song, The Father's House. Listen to the words of that song, because God has prepared a place for us. And it's not simply in the life. In the hereafter. But God has a place. He has a plan. And he has a purpose. For our lives today. If we'll humble ourselves. Be obedient to him. And follow through. With what he says to do. Where he says to go. Let's pray together. God almighty. We thank you for a chance to. Break open the bread of life this morning. To share the truth of your gospel. With all who would hear and tune in or share with friends or family. God, these are perilous times. We're not naive. We're not unaware. We know the circumstances we live in are very strange. And while we have hope that things will get back to some, what we thought was normal. God, you alone know exactly what the future holds and I pray right now that our trust would not be in our government, in our doctors, that our confidence would not even be in each other or our friends or even our family. But God, that all of our hope, all of our trust would be found in you, in your second touch, and in the second chances that you continue to bring to our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.